God's word is better. Our Heavenly Father, thank you for tonight. May the Holy Spirit come and anoint your word. Be faithful to your word. Help us to be faithful to it. May you build us in the most holy faith. May you move where we cannot. Help us to see it. In Jesus' name, amen. The passage I want to talk to tonight is one of the most asked for passages uh, in the Bible when it comes to funerals. Funerals. The most asked for song is in the garden, in my experience, and some other people. People always want in the garden. I come to the garden alone. Why it talks about an intimate relationship with God makes sense. But then the, the passage that is uh, asked for most of the time, at least in my experience, is John chapter 14, 1 through 3 specifically. Uh, it's just a tremendous passage. I'm going to give you a little bit of background on that passage before we go into it. I have plowed that ground a lot, but hopefully there's some new thought, encouraging thought uh, that I came across. The disciples were a group of nobodies. They were a group of nobodies, but they worshipped a God who was a somebody. Now from, they were mostly from this area of Galilee. Galilee, this is Samaria, Jerusalem, Samaria, Samaritans. And then up there towards the lake there, you have uh, Capernaum, Magdala, Mary from Magdala. Magdalene, Mary Magdalene, that's where she was from. And uh, Tiberius and then Nazareth. See Nazareth there in the middle? That's a road, by the way. Front. There was no, That's a number of roads that kind of main passageways from top to bottom. Kind of give you a perspective on what I want to talk about here in a second. So these the disciples were mostly from, from uh, the area of Galilee. Galilee, uh, from the people around Jerusalem, Bethlehem, and that area, the area of Galilee was not well spoken of. Uh, some of those cities were inhabited with people all the way back from Assyria. When Assyria took the land, they displaced all the people from Israel, the ten tribes of Israel, took them out, and they brought their own people back in. And they were, uh, the, God started judging them, and so they went and brought some of the Levitic, Levitical priests back and taught them how to worship the Lord. And so what you ended up getting was a half, half heathen, half true. Half heathen, half true. Now we see that still today in Haiti. The Catholic and the voodoo merged. The Catholic Church moved, merged with voodoo. Rather than overcome it, they just merged with it, assimilated the doctrine, put it together, and they, they have a, a religion kind of a new kind of religion. That's what this was. You had Judaism and heathenism together. Together. Of course, you know, it doesn't honor God. And so when the, when the people came back from Babylon, they came back to rebuild what? Jerusalem. And they came back uh, and were, were what we would call purists. They, they tried to keep the worship of Jehovah pure out of the heathen hands and influence. But the people in the north wanted to come down and have fellowship with the people in the south there, and the people in the south wouldn't have anything to do with them because they were somewhat of a, what they would call a mixed breed, at least as far as religion was going. They said they were polluted, the people up at Shechem, Samaria, 
and all that area, this the area of Samaritans. But in the northern part, the Jews, some of the Jews settled back into that part, but still the city of Nazareth. Uh, can anything good come out of Nazareth? It's a good question. Evidently, the answer to that was no. These disciples, they were fishermen, they were tax collectors, relatively uneducated people, hardworking people, a group of nobodies going nowhere, definitely not going to be remembered by history until they met Jesus. Until they met Jesus. Isn't that the way it is with you and me? We're nobodies that will not be remembered for very long. If you think you're going to be remembered long, you won't. Your child will remember you some, your grandchildren less, and their children not at all. By four generations, you know, they won't even know who you are. How do you know that? Go back in your parents' pictures. And uh, my, I went through my mom's pictures. We took six weeks. I went through my mom's pictures and different stuff of hers. And she, I would say, well, who's that? And he said, well, that's so, you know, she'd know them. But they never wrote anything on the pictures. There no dates, no dates, no times. No, and so when she died, you know, Jim looked at me and I looked at Louie and Louie looked at me and we said, we don't have any interest in these people and don't even know them. We threw them all out. Burn them. And what I realized is that's the way of life. If another, if another country took over America, one of the first things they'd do is get rid of our cemetery. They don't care who's buried there. They just plow that thing over and plant food, plant, plant over the top of it. Some of the best land in the United States is made up of cemeteries. And literally, nobody would know anybody uh, 300 years, 100 years but at the outside, but 200 years for sure. So I hate to tell you this, but uh, your, your life on this earth is transient. At the very best, it is transient. You are as a vapor that appears for a little while, and then you're gone. With not too many people missing you, and not too many people remembering you in a short period of time. So I hope that doesn't hurt your feelings. Because the only person you really want to remember you is Jesus. I want Jesus to remember me. I want to be like that guy on the cross. Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. That's who counts. What counts is whether Jesus, and it's not whether you know him, it's whether he knows you. Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, 23 says, people stand before him and say, I knew you, I knew you. A lot of people know Jesus, the name of Jesus, the name of Jesus Christ, but he doesn't know them. It's whether he knows you. You have a relationship and a walk with him, and you're saved, you're born from above, and his spirit indwells. So until Jesus passes by, not much changes, but when he passes by, nothing stays the same. Jesus himself was a mysterious figure in the time that he came up. His place of origin was always fuzzy, it seemed like, to the Jews, the people in the south here. Those were the, the temple, of course, was there. Pharisees, Sadducees, uh, scribes, and, and uh, lawyers and things were all centered around the temple, which took 46 years in this building. Herod the Great. He did that as kind of a gift to the people he ruled over. And uh, he built that great temple, Herod's temple, and it was evidently something to look at. And so that's where really the worship, in fact, according to the law of Moses, every Jew, no matter where they're at, is supposed to spend 
three times a year uh, come down to Jerusalem and, and do special worship and sacrifice at the area of Jerusalem, no matter where they were from. The general people, um, I believe the general people in Galilee especially knew Jesus was from Nazareth. No, no, nobody knew Bethlehem. Nazareth. Nazareth. Jesus was from Nazareth, as far as they knew. When you're reading through the Gospels, don't you want to just cry out sometimes, Hey, he's from Bethlehem. Why don't you ask him where he was born, not where he's from? Why didn't they ask, where, you were, where were you born? He, he wouldn't lie to them. Man. He may not have told them, but he wouldn't lie to them. I was born in Bethlehem. Boom, 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 boom. The alarms would have went off, and Micah 5.2 would come up. Micah 5.2 says uh, this, But thou, Bethlehem Ephrata, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me, that is to be ruler in Israel, whose going forth have been from old, from everlasting. That was a promise that they were looking for. They were looking for their Messiah to come out of Bethlehem. And I say, he's out of Bethlehem. Had He wouldn't tell them because he didn't want them to know. Let me say this. God will hold himself from you if you won't believe. To the unbeliever, he will hold himself away from them unless they have a spirit that will be willing to believe. They were hard-hearted people. They were self-willed. They didn't want anything to mess up their system. And Jesus was messing their system up. Now, I kind of give you a little, a little geography, which I appreciate. You see Capernaum at the top of the Sea of Galilee there, and you see Nazareth. That's 20 miles away from each other by air. I can only measure by air. Because the road it would be longer than 20 miles. That's a pretty good walk from Capernaum to Nazareth right there. Then you have from uh, Nazareth to the Mediterranean Sea. So if you went from Nazareth to Mediterranean Sea, that's 20 miles. Uh, from, from Nazareth to Caesarea, which is down there on the coast, yeah, that's 27 miles. This kind of gives you perspective of how small the area of Israel is. Uh, from, from Nazareth to uh, Samaria, you see the city of Samaria there, 29 miles. And from Nazareth to Jerusalem, 65 miles. Well, that's by air. So you've got to add miles to that because there's going to be ups and downs and sideways and turns and all that. So when they walked from Nazareth to Jerusalem, it was quite a haul. When's the last time you walked 65 miles? Some of you may, may, some of you may walk that way. Uh, if you'd be surprised how many miles you walk in a day. My wife, when she worked at the bank, was pretty surprised, I think, how many miles she walked. But Jesus is the best thing that ever happened to these 11 folks. I'm not talking about Judas Iscariot. But the 11 uh, true disciples, uh, apostles. They were able to see water turn to wine, healing of demon-possessed people, miraculous multiplication of fish and bread, and bread le uh, and uh, Lepers cleansed, paralytics restored to normal, uh, withered hands made perfectly whole, uh, fevered uh, to death folks healed, the dead raised up who were being taken to 
being taken to be buried, widow's son, of course. Raging storms suddenly settled at his command. Blind men receive their sight again. Born blind men have new eyes made for him, and then so he could see John 9. Dumb people made to talk. Stone deaf folks to hear from the first time. Breaking of the laws of gravity and nature, and nature as he walked on water. And finding money in a fish's mouth. There were There's recorded in the New Testament 34 miracles of the Lord Jesus Christ. But how many miracles do you think he did? Well, it says in John chapter 21, verse 25, it says, There are also many other things which Jesus did, in which, if he should be written, every one. And this is, a, and this is obviously a literary exaggeration to say there's a whole lot not written here. He says, I suppose, that suppose word is important. I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that should be written. In other words, he's basically saying there's a whole lot of things, a whole lot of things. Jesus would go into some of the towns there, and the Bible said that every sick person, every demon-possessed person in that whole little village would be healed and would be, you know, freed. And that went on and on and on and on and on. We just know a very, just a spattering. 34 miracles is just a little spattering. Imagine what those 11 apostles visually witnessed with every sense that they had, all, all their senses that they witnessed went on there. And all of a sudden, just before Passover, Jesus tells them he's going to be crucified. He says in John chapter 13, verse 33, Little children, yet a little while I am with you. you. You shall seek me, as I said unto the Jews, whither I go you cannot come, so now I say to you. Now, he had warned him, given him a heads up a couple times uh, that he was going to go to Jerusalem and he'd be ill-treated and eventually crucified and resurrected the third day. They just, it just, you know, just went over, seemed like it just went over the top of their head. But here they're having a good time. They're getting ready for the Passover. Was a, By the way, the Passover celebration was a, ooh, it was a wonderful celebration over the deliverance out of slavery in Egypt. And how the death angel came through Egypt and bypassed them. He passed over them, passed over, passed over. And so it was a celebration time, and this kind of put a damper on that. Not only that, he told them, one among you is going to betray me. And, of course, did they think it was Judas? No. They looked at each other and said, is it I, Lord? Is it I? Preach a message, is it I? They all felt like maybe it was one of them. Judas was the one most trusted to keep the money. He was a CFO of the apostles. And maybe one of the first cases of embezzlement written in the Bible. Um, so he's just about ready to be delivered over in John chapter 13, John chapter 14, specifically where we're going. He's about ready to be delivered over to the Gentiles, wicked men, hypocritical religious leaders who hate him and to be crucified horribly, and he's getting ready to leave them. That's some bad news. That's a lot of bad news. He just finished telling them that one of them's a betrayer. That's bad news, which must have deeply hurt their feelings, especially since they were like, is it going to be me? And I don't know how much worse news you can be given that quickly. They, that You could say safely that the disciples were down. 
Okay, I'm giving you, that's the background for John chapter 14. Okay, that's the background for what we're going to read here. So then, with that all said, and with understanding that background, we have John chapter 14, verse 1. It says, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, you believe also in me. I looked at Greek up in this, and, and the Greek has tenses. They have tenses, and it helps you understand about what tense. We have, uh, you have the aorist tense, which is a past action, a completed past action with present results. You have the present linear tense, which is an ongoing immediate action with continued results. And then you have the present imperative, which is a, an, a, a now action that is a command. Now, you knew when your mom and dad told you something that was a command as opposed to asking you a question. Would you please clean your bedroom up? Or clean your bedroom up? You know the difference between those two statements, right? One was uh, you had prerogative in it. The other one was more stern. It was more, listen, there's, 120, there's at least 127 imperatives in the New Testament, which is interesting because imperative is definitely a command. And so in the Greek, we, we, we get a, uh, what am I going to say, uh, a shading, uh, intuitiveness to what he's saying. He's basically saying, stop being troubled. That's an order. Stop letting your heart be troubled. If I may word it this way, forbid your heart from being troubled. Now, everybody in this room has been troubled. I don't, I don't doubt that. Even young people in this room have been troubled. Some of you older people have been troubled a lot. You were troubled when your mom and your grandpa and grandpa died. You were troubled when your mom and dad died. You were troubled. Uh, some of you lost your mates. Some of you lost your brothers and sisters. And I think Carla's lost all of her brothers and sisters. Is that right? You got any brothers and sisters left? You got one? But you don't have any left. Everybody's gone on your side. And every one of them is a little piece of your heart, you know, a little piece of your heart you take out. And you're troubled. You go through trouble, but Jesus says, stop. Most of us, most of us take that phrase, let not your heart be troubled, as like, uh, is it possible to clean your bedroom up? That's not the way he's saying it. He's saying, stop letting your heart be troubled. It will be troubled, but stop it. You say, well, Brother Bill, how can I do that? There's a verse, by the way, a little late coming. Forbid your heart from being troubled. How? Number one, you must decide to obey. Jesus said, when your heart starts to get troubled, grab a hold of it and say, stop it. Stop it. In other words, there's a just to I'm not saying you have control over your emotions. But I'm saying your emotions are controllable. 
They may not obey every every little command you give them, but you ultimately can win over your emotions. You can win over them. You can beat them. You can you can have victory over them. The first step in that is deciding I'm not going to let them dominate me. I'm not going to let my emotions, in this case, depression. I mean, what is trouble? Let not sure be trouble. It could be anxiety. It could be depression. It could just be an overly sad countenance. That wants to, I don't know about you. Doesn't that want to cover you sometimes? I mean, I talked to numbers of you when you when you shared with me you fought certain battles with being down and with being depressed or with being sad and, and not unnaturally. And and but but the point of it is ultimately. You can't do any good for yourself or God in that state if you stay in that state. And he tells his disciples, I'm getting ready to go. Where I go, you can't come. Well, that would be a shock to them. I mean, he was everything to them. He was everything. He said, because I live, you should live also. Uh, you know, <laughs> He said, I'm your peace, basically. With me, you get peace and nowhere else you can. So he, they're like, what? You're going to leave? Yeah, well, I'm going. And you can't follow me. Is one of you even going to betray me? I'm going to be turned over. Let not your heart be troubled. Wow. That's a high order. That's a high, that's a tall command. <clears throat> Make a decision. Are you anxious? Are you worried? Are you burdened? Are you fretful? Are you miserable? I'm not going to live this way. I'm not going to live this way. I'm not going to dwell in this in this mood. I'm not going to stay. In this ground, I'm going to change. Second thing to do is <clears throat> believe Jesus' words or trust in His words. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. He's saying you got to believe in me. You got to focus on me. Focus on the Lord Jesus. He's telling them, focus on the Lord. Focus on me. Focus on. All this surrounded me. You know who I am. You know I'm the, you confess in Matthew 16, I'm the Christ, the Son of the living God. You know who I am. I was the one been promised to come all the way from Genesis 3.18, all the way from Deuteronomy 18, all the way through the major prophets and minor prophets. Uh, uh, I'm trying to think of uh, Isaiah 7.14, Isaiah 9.6, Micah 5.2. Zechariah chapter twelve. I'm the one that's been been. I'm the one that's been told through the prophets. I'm coming. I'm here. This is me. You know it. Now they're at the end of the ministry of three and a half years. They've seen it. They've heard it. They know this is the one. He said, "You just got to tell yourself, I'm not going to stay in this state of depression, and I'm going to focus on you, Lord Jesus. I'm going to focus on who you are. I'm going to focus, and I'm going to trust." In your sovereignty, Ephesians 1, 8, 1, 11 says, In whom also we have obtained inheritance, being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will. I don't like what happened. I don't even condone what happened in my life, but I'm not going to let it dominate me. I'm going to believe somehow it was in your will. Most of us know Romans 8, 28. We over, maybe, can you overquote a verse? I don't 
Sometimes you can wear them out, I think. Sometimes you can wear their meaning out by just quoting it. Praying the Lord's Prayer too much will possibly lose its meaning for you. And so, uh, all things, uh, in fact, I can't even remember what it is at all now, so here we go. Don't, 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 don't. Don't do this to me. Uh, all things work together for good to them that love God and are called according to His purpose. That's it. Romans 8, 28. You say it, you say it, you say it. But what he's saying to them is you're going to have to now believe it. You're going to have to focus your belief that literally somehow I'm going to work all this stuff out in your life. Somehow, somehow. I don't see how, Lord. I don't see how this could be for my good. Somehow. This was in the big plan of God's will. Somehow. Some way. And so what is that? That's trust in God knows more than you know. That's trust in his wisdom over your wisdom. Isn't that what that is? Isn't that trust in ultimately the plan that God had for your life over your own plan? Because, see, if we, how can we plan? We don't even know what's going to happen tomorrow. So he's got it. I believe him. He's, 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 he's good. You must trust in Jesus' words. And then thirdly, and by the way, this is really simple. Understands through the eyes of faith that the future is bright. But not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. He goes to the future. That's not right. They're, they're, they're sitting in the upper room. This is John chapter 14. 1. This is in the upper room. They're in the upper room. He's saying, now I want you to think about the future. In my house are many mansions, but were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go prepare a place for you, I'll come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Your future is with the Lord Jesus. Amen? It's with the Lord Jesus. And that's going to outshine everything else. And then we keep that focus, and <clears throat> you say, Brother Bill, how do you keep your mind focused? Songs of Zion will help you. Songs of Zion will help you a lot. I, I have all kinds of these. Uh, Brother Tom and Cronin and I have talked about this. When he was having bypass surgery, he said all he could really remember is to sing those songs of Zion he had learned. I like the song, Heaven is a wonderful place, full of glory and grace. I want to see my Savior's face. Heaven is a wonderful, heaven is a marvelous, heaven is a wonderful place. Now, see, when I sing on myself, am I too loud? Am I, is this, this seems like this is barreling to me. You're good? Uh, when I sing to myself, I don't have to, have to have the words up. God knows. He don't care. If I, if I don't get the words up. We just sang tonight when the roll was called up yonder. I'll be there. I never get tired of singing that song. Never get tired of singing it. When I shall see him face to face and tell the story saved by grace. When I shall see him face to face and tell the story saved by grace. I got some others here. Heavenly sunshine, heavenly sunshine, flooding my soul with glory divine. 
Heavenly sunshine, heavenly sunshine. Hallelujah, Jesus is mine. When the trumpet of the Lord shall sound and time shall be no more. And the morning breaks eternal, bright and fair. When the saints of earth are gathered over on the other shore. When the roll is called up yonder, I'll be there. We're marching to Zion. Beautiful, beautiful Zion. We're marching upward to Zion, that beautiful city of God. I've got a mansion just over the hilltop in that bright land where we'll never grow old. And someday yonder we'll never more wander. But walk the streets that are purest gold. Verse goes, when, reach, when, I, when shall I reach that happy place and be forever blessed? When shall I see my father's face and as he bos in his bosom rest? One of my favorite songs is The Sands of Time, it's called. It was D.L. Moody's favorite song, surprising, by the way. I did not know that for years and years. I found out that was his favorite song. It says, one of the verses I love so much says, The bride eyes not her garment, but her dear bridegroom's face. I will not gaze at glory, but on the King of grace. Not at the crown he giveth, but on his pierced hand. And the Lamb is all the glory. In Emmanuel's land. Keep eternity in the forefront of your thinking. And the songs that we sing here have a plan. We have a plan. And the plan is that you get those songs in your long-term memory. Now, there's a long distance between short-term and long-term. It's about that wide. My mother used to say, you're thick-headed. I know what you meant. It's hard to get this into the long-term memory. It seems like there's a big gulf of fix between the two. But if you do something over and over and over enough, over and over and over and over and over and over enough, it it works its way. Now some of you got better memories than other ones, but I'm you know, I'm talking about my experience with memory work. And finally that'll break into the long term memory. And once it gets to seem like the long term, it can't get out. It stays in there and it it'll come back to you. I had things come back to me. I couldn't even believe they were in there. I thought, wow, I'm surprised. They're, they're in there. And so keep eternity. So here's the, here's the secret. He said, listen, forbid your heart from being troubled. You must, you must decide to do that. You've got to trust in Jesus' words and understand through the eyes of faith the future is bright. Keep eternity in the forefront of your thinking. Be consumed with the Lord Jesus. Ours is not the spirit of fear, but of love, and of power, and of a sound mind. That'll help you have that. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you.
Wow. He knows what color I like. And trust me, my wife will not like my house. My mansion will not be appreciated by Kathy. She'll walk in and go, ooh. Ooh. You got blue in there. You got blue. I don't like all that. You don't have to live here either, baby. <laughs> Lastly, get up when you fail. Oh, preacher, I'm out. I don't I don't doubt it. I don't doubt it. Righteous faileth seven falleth seven times and riseth up again. This is not a Shazam deal. This is a day by day by day by day by day by day. The one I believe I have one more slide. You can tell how well I know my presentation here. That's it. That's it. That's it. Father, help us tonight to obey your command. Your command. Help us to obey it. Help us to seek it with all our heart, our soul, our mind. Release us from the demons of fear and uh, depression and anxiety. In Jesus' name, amen. If you would like to know more about the Lord Jesus Christ, you may contact us at the church website, gospelbaptistchurch.com, or you can go to Facebook and type in Gospel Baptist Church Bonita Springs, Florida. Also, you could call the church office at 239-947-1285. Thank you, and God bless.